All right. Welcome to another episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. In our episode today, Dwayne Mathis and I have an hour-long sit-down with St. Charles North head coach Rob Pomzak to discuss his breakdown of leadership. Have you ever thought about how ways that you can bring parents into the fold into your program or thinking about establishing a leadership academy that will allow you to put the infrastructure in place for an elite leadership and culture within your program, then you want to grab your pencil and paper and don't miss a minute with Coach Pomzak. We can't wait to get started. Here we go. All right. Welcome to another episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with Dwayne Mathis. We are excited to be here uh, remotely. Uh, we have an Illinois guest, St. Charles head, uh, St. Charles North head coach, uh, Robert Pomzak, is with us today. We're going to introduce him in just a second. But before we begin, my brother from another mother, Dwayne, how are you, man? Doing well. Doing well. Just got back from uh, a walk with... Uh, uh, my son and, and two dogs, and I've learned something about my dogs. They're not really walking dogs, so they're. I think they're more laying home and snoring dogs. So, but uh, uh, you know, I'm, you know, gradual progression here. Gotta gotta crawl before you walk, right? They're walking you, and you're carrying them, right? Exactly. Well, speaking of getting carried, we're going to get carried today by a guy that's had a lot of success in his program, uh, Coach Palmzak. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Tim. I greatly appreciate it. Well, we're really excited to hear your thoughts on building culture and doing things in a different way, um, thinking outside the box. I think that's a, a real strong point of yours. And so I can't wait to hear your thoughts on, on what we're going to talk about today. Before we dig into it, Coach, um, everyone's got a story uh, to where they are now. And so we would love for you to share with us you know, how you got to St. Charles North High School, your, your path, um, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Well, uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, just about uh, 12 miles outside of the city of Chicago. Um, both of my parents, I'm first generation in this country. Both my parents uh, came from different countries. My mom came from Italy. My dad came from France. So, you know, very humble background. Uh, they both grew up in the city and then moved out to that suburb, Arlington Heights, um, basically when they got married and uh, went to the local high school, played baseball, was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to Iowa State, uh, played a few years there, and then finished off my career out in Naperville uh, at North Central College. Uh, played football uh, throughout my high school career, but just baseball was my first love, so I chose that. Um, my first job was as a special ed aide over in Elk Grove High School, which is right next to O'Hare Airport. Uh, I volunteered for football, did that for you know, two or three years while I was still coaching baseball and kind of worked my way up the ladder, you know, just that, that old school story of just trying to do my best and keep my mouth shut and learn what I can from people who were, you know, know a lot more than me. And, you know, it was fortunate over a course of 11 years there to move up into uh, different positions. And then we got a new head coach. Uh, he's now the head coach over at Nutrier, Brian Dahl. And he brought me up to be his, uh, uh, you know, the defensive, uh, a defensive backs coach and uh, made me the defensive coordinator, then assistant head coach. And, you know, he kind of, he, he took another position outside of football and uh, it seemed like I was the heir apparent. I felt like I was ready. So I applied for the position and uh, about my second or third interview uh, kind of got a bad feeling that I wasn't going to get the job. And sure enough, they, they, they went a different direction and hired another guy. And I was kind of at a crossroads at that point, you know, I had my type 75 and, 
And I didn't know if I wanted to go into administration or continue coaching. And um, my wife and I had just moved from the city of Chicago out to the suburbs to start a family. And St. Charles, the head coach there, Mark Gould, was retiring. And my wife said, you know, why don't you apply for it? And, and so I did. And, you know, through the course of the interview process, we found out we were having a kid. And then, you know, through the course of the interview process, we found out we were having twins. And so it just kind of made sense. And I was fortunate enough to get, you know, get offered the position. And it's about two, two and a half miles from my house. And uh, so I, I jumped at that chance and took a leap of faith. And, you know, it was it's there's been some great times. There's been some hard times, but I would never trade it in for the, for anything because, uh, it's kind of been the challenge that I, I've always wanted and I've always needed and um, kind of brought me to this point eight years later. So, Coach, um, you mentioned that Brian Dahl was a big guy for you that that you spent time with and you played some played some ball at Iowa State. And so you've seen things um, at big high school, big college, and then you went to North Central Division three. Um, and then spend a lot of time in Elk Grove. Talk about some of the influencers in your life that kind of help shape your philosophy on how you coach. And, you know, it's interesting to hear your shift from baseball to football. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always I always loved baseball and I didn't play football till I, I got to high school because my mom wouldn't let me. I played travel soccer and then finally I talked her into it. And I just always enjoyed the camaraderie and the team atmosphere that football brought. Um, you know, playing baseball is one thing. I, I coached it for 11 years at Elk Grove, but as I was coaching, I, I just always found that I gravitated towards football because it, it just, it, it's such a team sport. It really honestly is. And, and to me, it's more of a positive sport, you know, baseball, no matter what, it always comes down to what you do as an individual. And it really is a game, in my opinion, that's built around, you know, negativity, because if you don't, you know, if you making out seven out of 10 times, you're only batting 300, which is great, but you still have to deal with how you're going to handle all of those outs. So I, I just enjoyed how every single person in football uh, lent itself to the greater purpose. And as I kept coaching, I also was just fortunate that I had good people who kind of saw something in me because, uh, you know, my knowledge of football when I first started was, was, you know, very rudimentary. It was very, uh, very low. And I just tried to learn as much as I can, I could. And then, you know, Brian Dahl was a huge influence on me because when he came in, you know, I remember our interview, I talked to him every week. We're still very good friends. And, you know, he had texted me a picture of, uh, of my binder that I sent, uh, that I interviewed with him. And he just, he's like, you know, the detail that you had, I knew right away that you were going to, I was going to bring you up. And he just really pushed me because I remember very distinctly, like he was always trying to get me to go and be a head coach somewhere. And I always thought, well, why are you trying to get me out of the program? And he's, you know, he, you know, even to this day, he just says that there was something that he felt that I should be a head coach. And, you know, now as a head coach, I kind of see the same things in some of my assistants where you, you're really wanting them to succeed. You know, um, my philosophies on coaching are really kind of just a, I guess, a microcosm of maybe things that I want to improve on as a, as a person. So it's kind of selfish in nature where, the things that we as a program at North at, uh, at St. Charles North focus on are things that I really feel like I need to work on as a person. Um, and, and I feel like if if it's a project for me that I can I can go into a self-improvement and a growth mindset, then I think it's great for the kids and my community to see because, um, 
I always say, you know, let's let's focus on on what we can improve on and and let's dive into our weaknesses as opposed to ignore them. So um, I think my dad's been a huge influence. My mom and my dad have been a huge influence. And then my wife has been probably the biggest influence as a head coach because she's, you know, she's there through the good times and the bad. And she has a perspective that nobody else has. And she wears it with me and she understands how much I put into it. But she's also a really good sounding board and a, and a good voice of logic when I'm maybe thinking irrationally. Um, she, ha- she, lends a, she lends a calming voice to me. So I think I kind of take all those things and, and then form, formulate the plan for the year uh, because every year is different from the other. I mean, case in point is right now. Very true, Coach. Uh, when you talk about you know culture, and I know that's a big word in your mm-hmm. program, uh, the process of building a culture, uh, two questions here for you. What's your definition of culture? And when you look at a culture that you want to establish in your program, what is that first piece that you want to lay down to establish that culture? You know, I, I think I, culture is such a buzzword and I, it can be thrown around very flippantly. And I think, you know, when you dive into it, I think it's an environment. It's an ecosystem. You know, I was listening to Chip Kelly uh, on another podcast that I was listening to talking about, you know, the environment that they want to create. And and I never looked at it like that. And so even eight years in now, I guess my idea of what culture is, is is changing in definition. But I think at the heart of it, it, it's really about creating this ecosystem and environment that people feel safe in that way they feel like they can succeed and fail and they can push themselves. At the heart of that though, it really to me is about establishing the behaviors that you want to elicit from each individual that is a stakeholder in your program. And from there, how are we gonna connect those behaviors uh, to the experience that we wanna create? And and vice versa, like, you know, when I present, I show like a, this. Venn diagram of three different circles interjecting of behavior, uh, beliefs, and experiences, and in the middle is your culture. And I kind of, I kind of believe that's that's true. Like if if we have these certain beliefs that we want to have, and then we align behaviors with them, and then we create experiences that support both our beliefs and our behaviors, then somewhere in that middle is where your culture lies. Um, And to me, that's just creating like a whole environment that wherever our kids go or wherever our parents are, um, they are going to see it. They're going to feel it. It's going to be three-dimensional. I think one of the things that one of my mentors told me about is, you know, how do you make it 3D? Everything is great on a sheet of paper, but how do you make something three-dimensional that can be tangible, that can be something that is felt? so for me, that's where we start is with the kids and the parents is talking about what are our beliefs, what are the behaviors that we're going to accept, and then from there, we're going to cultivate experiences that support those. And and everything we're going to do in some way, shape, or form is going to tie back into those behaviors and those beliefs that we have. That's a tremendous response, Coach. I, I, I've heard Urban Meyer describe it almost the same way that you just did. Culture is what it what does your environment feel like? What does it act like? And and uh, it's a it's a tangible piece. And mm-hmm. so I, I appreciate you bringing that to it. So moving that in a little bit deeper, what are some of the non-negotiables that you've established within that culture? I mean, the non-negotiables for us really just fall back on our value system, and we call them our behaviors that win. Uh, it, it's going to be uh, being uh, prepared, accountable, invested, selfless, 
and then leadership. And, and so those, those are the non-negotiable values that will never change. Um, and the standards that we set for within that, I leave up to the kids because every year there's a different focus that we have to place on the particular group that we're looking at. Like this year's particular group is extremely strong at, from a leadership dynamic. Like they're very, very good when it comes to self-policing. They can lead themselves, which is really what I ask of all of our players and staff first. Like you, you can't expect somebody to lead somebody else until you can lead yourself. Um, and so we'll f look at where maybe we want to focus for that standpoint. Maybe that's something that's a weak link or an area that we want to develop. Um, but those non-negotiables of, you know, being accountable, take care, take action, you know, whatever it is, you know, 300, you know, it's, it's 24 seven, you see a piece of trash, pick it up, be invested. Uh, and by being invested, we just ask the kids to, to buy into what we're saying. Don't miss anything. Uh, be accountable, uh, being, you know, selfless. We all, we use the acronym, forget about me. I love you. That's a pretty mm -hmm. familiar one. Um, you know, and all of those behaviors, those non-negotiables have an action statement. But again, it really, the action statement, I think if you asked my kids, well, what's the action statement for, you know, leadership? And they would say, well, own your 20 square feet. Maybe 50% of them would know that, but they'll be able to give you an experience they had that is going to help define that leadership. So it goes back to what you said, you know, that, that tangible experience that they have that that's solidified in their mind. You know, it takes it from the back of the brain and moves it to the front of the brain. Coach, uh, you've used some terms uh, that we've used here on our show, too. I mean, that obviously the owning your 20 square feet is is one of the big ones that uh, Tim and I uh, have said before. So I'm going to appreciate you kind of stressing that you guys do that in your program as well. But, you know, asking you to kind of look at your program, you know, from the start to the present how has it evolved? I mean, your culture in your program, how has it evolved? I mean, how, how, have, you, how have you seen it change from the number I, of seasons? Well, you know, I, I, you don't know what you don't know. And, and like walking in as a 34-year-old head coach, um, I, I would do it totally different. You know, there's a part of me that looks forward to if and when there's another opportunity because sometimes you can't go back and change what you've done and it still has residual effects from a relationship standpoint, you know, coming in and making changes without really truly doing the detective work that should or the forensic work that I should have done and 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 kind of taking a year to absorb the program. You know, I walked in and it was just I had to make my mark. This is I was I was carrying baggage from my former school. I, I needed to prove to them that they made a mistake. So I was going to come in and I was, you know, I was going to plow through and bull in a china shop, you know, and just make everything more about me than it than it ever should have been. Um, and I think those early on players suffered because of it. And I still see those guys. And, you know, I live in the community and some of them understand it and they appreciated what I was trying to do because the program had not won very much in the, you know, the five years prior to that. Um, but they still had a great history of football. And I wish I would have respected that more. Um, as we've evolved and we've had success or moderate success, I've realized that, you know, the wins do not matter. I mean, honest to God, it's great to win, you know, but we were in the state championship two years ago and we unfortunately lost. 
so I was I was alluding to on the way back from the state championship game, just realizing that had you won the state championship, the next thing you have to do is go back to work for the next season. And, and so really the winning is not the reward. And so what we've done and the way the program has changed is we, we consider ourselves an experience-based program. We, we're going to try to give every kid and every parent and every administrator that is associated with our program the very best experience that we possibly can. And for me, that is what I feel like wins for me at the end of the day. Um, I was looking on social media and I was doing a, I had a, I think I was doing like a Twitter chat with somebody and I said that where it was, you know, uh, players over, you know, people over players and, and talking about experiences over wins. And I think somebody chimed in that, well, you should look at your record from last year. Last year, we, we, we didn't make the playoffs. It was my first year. We were, we were under 500. We were four and five. And I get that. And, you know, wins are important, especially at the varsity level. Um, but 20 years down the line, you know, I've been doing this now long enough where kids come back and they don't remember the wins and losses. They remember how you made them feel. And so for me, how has the program evolved? The program has evolved from moving away from the quantifiable victories more to the experiential victories and how we're leaving people and the feeling that we're giving everybody five to 10 years down the line or even something as immediate as, you know, two minutes after you have an interaction with a person. Yeah, that that's that's tremendous because I, that takes me right into where we wanted to go next in terms of biggest mistakes in in implementing a culture. Um, you know, I, I know you say that's kind of a buzzword, but I, really alluding to what you were just talking about, mm -hmm. like I would do it totally differently. You know, is, is there something else that you've seen um, other people do that you feel like this is not how we got to do it? I, I think I I try to really not focus on other what other people are doing because I, I always just try to, I look at what makes successful businesses, programs, people, and I try to find commonalities in what they're doing and try to maybe apply that to our program in some sort of way that I feel like can translate. Um, you know, the things that I, I don't agree with is, is when we are mistreating our kids, um, when we shut our parents out, um, those are things that I feel like are misdirection and you need to pivot off of it. I mean, our parents are our most important allies because A, they're, they're trusting us with their most prized possession. They're letting their kids play football, especially in this day and age. And so in our program, you know, there are, pro our parents are welcome to practice. I probably give them more access than the average coach. Um, just because I feel the value that they have into our program is so great. Um, like, like I said, the things that I didn't do well was really communicate what the, what the mission, the vision and the purpose was. Um, and I didn't know, like you, like I said, I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. And the most, the biggest thing that I see that new leaders don't do well is their ability to articulate and communicate what the plan is and what the culture is and what the mission is and what the vision is. They expect everybody to know it and they don't teach it. And they don't set it. They don't do it in a very direct and intentful way. One thing that's helped our program is by my own personal growth is trying to do it and making the program with intent and design. And some people would say that's over engineering it, but I also feel like you have to engineer a little bit of it to allow organic things to happen. Like if I go plant a garden, you know, I'm going to cultivate the soil. I'm going to make sure that I water it, and then 
mother nature takes over and the seed starts to flourish and it grows. There has to be some sort of design and intent before those natural things can happen, in my opinion. Coach, when you when you're talking about, um, you know, obviously you you were in a in a unique situation, you know, when you were an assistant and then a job opened up, you didn't get it, you know, and so I know that um, you probably have a, a good perspective from this, though, in the sense of you sounds like you surround yourself with coaches who eventually want to be head coaches. So how do you empower those guys to make sure that they're going to be able to get to where they want to go? much like you were as an assistant trying to, you know, get that, that head coaching job. You know, I think it's, they're fewer and far between in my, like it's getting harder and harder to find those coaches who are willing to a be a teacher, because I I think you're getting less and less teachers in the building who coach. Mm -hmm. I know my staff in particular, I think we have 14 on staff and five of them are in the building. Um, so finding that finding that perfect mix of a person who wants who's a teacher and who also wants to take their career to the next level as a coach and then putting them in positions where they can get out of their comfort zone. I just hired um, a 23 year old form, 23 year old safeties coach who uh, played his ball at Augustana and he, he was a captain for two years of the defense and he knows the position of, of safety inside and out. You know, but when I talked to him, I said, I want to make you my freshman defensive coordinator because for you professionally, that's what's going to stretch your comfort zone the best. And that's what's going to allow you to become a better coach. Um, we just sent a coach off to the collegiate level who was with us for a couple of years, and he was very comfortable being an offensive minded coach, quarterbacks, you know, offensive coordinator. And I don't think he was growing as much as he could until he started to learn other positions and getting out of your comfort zones. I mean, the biggest thing that I learned about taking a head coaching position was that you can't be afraid to take risks because no matter what, you're going to be better coming out the backside of that because you're going to go through the hard times, the good times, and you're going to grow from it. Like, I think probably the thing I am most proud of, and there's times when I'm walking in the hall of the school um, where I just feel this enormous sense of pride because I took a huge risk. I got out of my comfort zone. I went through some very difficult times from a transitional standpoint, weathered that storm, and, and you feel like you've proved something to yourself that maybe you weren't, you couldn't have done before, you know? And, and like times like this, when we're in, you know, this situation, you, you have to lean back on those situations where you are uncomfortable because you know, it will pass like, and you will get through it and be better because of it. Yeah. Because playing it safe, as we all know, it's one of the joys of playing sports is you're never going to you're never going to get to that end goal. And so if you don't take take risks, you're never going to see the reward. Rarely does the team to win uh, wins at all have, have, you know, do something without ever taking something to stretch their comfort level. And I, I think that's a tremendous, tremendous uh, piece of advice. Um, you know, coach, as you look at how you has you have you building your culture and, and where you are right now, I, I've seen a lot of the things that you're doing on Twitter to try to build into your players. Can you can you talk about some of those nuggets that you're doing right now to help keep your team engaged? And, and what are the things uh, that you found to be very successful in that type of environment? Sure. I, I think what we went into a state of home order in on March 13th and immediately, 
we're just trying to see how we're going to pivot and maintain what I tell the kids and the staff is we're going to maintain our our mission and our vision. And, you know, the experience we're going to give you is still going to be as elite as we possibly can get it, but it's just going to look different. And so you immediately start to think about, OK, how can I still attain that goal and give my parents and my players and my staff uh, the experience that the and hold it to the bar that we've set? Um, and, and really, for me, at that point, you know, in March, it was just about connection. How can I let these kids know that I still care about them? I'm thinking about them and trying to support them in any way, shape or form. And so that was that was one aspect of it. And the second aspect is how do we continue to develop? Because at some point you're going to get to the other side of this and then you have to be prepared for when you're going to play. Uh, and then the third part of that was how do I you know, reach out to my parents and connect with them because the high school kids, the way they're reviewing, the, the way that they are viewing this whole virus is a little bit different than maybe what I would say me, a 40-year-old father of two is, where you're dealing with fears and anxieties uh, that you've never dealt with because you, you see what's going on. You start thinking about your kids and you start thinking about your job. I think the kids were looking at it more of, oh, we're on break, you know, and it's not really affecting my age group. So I wanted to reach out to our parents. So from that point, I started writing a newsletter um, and I started writing the newsletter in the beginning of the year. And, it, and you know, I had some good feedback. Uh, but then as we went into the stay at home order, I started writing about what I was experiencing and like, you know, not having good days and maybe being anxious and dealing with anxieties and, and dealing with fear. And I had such a positive response from my parents on, you know, thank you for being open and honest and letting us know how you're feeling. I'm feeling the same exact way. Uh, or I had other parents, hey, how can I help you? You know, uh, you know, we're here for you. And it just makes you human. It makes you a little bit more real. Um, and from our player standpoint, I would just call them and I, you know, I call them, see how you're doing. You know, what's your situation at home like? What can I do to help you? Um, and, and most of the, you know, I had, I had another mom call me and said, you don't know how happy it made my son for you to call him and just spend 10 minutes talking to them, you know, and there's a hundred and 110 kids, sophomores through varsity that you have to call, but it just made, you know, for me at that moment, it was what was getting me through the days too, because I'm essentially as a, as a teacher and coach, you live your life on connection and to be cut off from that, you feel like you're withering. And so it just kind of gave me a lifeblood to keep moving forward. Um, and then from a development standpoint, we started, okay, how are we going to take this program and make it remote? How can we go and get done with our development and use this as a positive? And so I kind of changed my perspective on it being negative and saying, this is a chance for me to really teach my program to everybody. They got a captive audience. Nobody's going anywhere. And, you know, when you're trapped inside a screen on a Google Meet or a Zoom meeting, I think you kind of have their their attention, so to speak. And so I said, I'm going to use this opportunity to teach our program from the very foundational level. And so we created our four quadrant development, which is physical, technical, tactical, and mental. And our physical training was done through rack performance. And, and, and I would videotape the workouts and put it on YouTube, then download it so that they could see it. Um, and then our, you know, our technical work was drill work. And so we, we had filmed our drill work uh, a couple of years ago and made a, a YouTube page of it. And so I just put that on our development Google site. So that the kids, if a DB needs to see what he needs to do, he can go pick some drills. Um, and then from a mental and tactical standpoint, I said, this is when I can do, teach them about our, our culture. Why, why do we have our value system? 
You know, uh, why do, what does it really mean? Where did it come from, from me? What impact is it having on, on you as an individual? Uh, teaching our tackling progression, teaching our takeaway progression, uh, you know, more so than the 10 minutes you get prior to practice when every single kid is more concerned about getting outside and, and practicing. And my staff is the same way. So it's it's been a really useful experience to kind of, in my opinion, teach everybody about the why we're doing what we're doing, you know, because I, I know you guys would probably agree as leaders there's so much that's in between our ears that we very rarely have the opportunity to clearly convey to everybody. And so good, bad or indifferent, that's kind of how I've looked at it. And we've met, you know, I've had level meetings. We just had our, our pre-summer meeting. We had, a, you know, 103 kids in attendance and they're ready to go, you know, and, and I told them, I said, you know, one team is going to take advantage of this opportunity and come back and be prepared and they're going to beat some teams that they shouldn't. And, and why shouldn't that be us? You know, so let's see what we can do with this. And I, I don't know where it's going to take us, but at least at this moment, I feel like we're prepared to start the next phase of this thing. Coach, has the COVID-19 pandemic, has it opened your eyes to maybe how you can maybe do things do some things differently in your program that maybe through technology that you haven't been and maybe opened your eyes to it or, you know, or do you think, Oh gosh, I just can't wait to get back to how things used to be. No, I, I think it, it, it's, you know, it, it's, you know, mother, I mean, this, when you necessity is the mother of invention. So it's like, we're, we're, when we're forced to do this, I mean, we've been a pretty tech forward program, I think, but it, you know, it's it's teaching the kids how to use it. You know, they're digital natives for Snapchat and Twitter and whatever else. But getting them to log into a Google site or getting them on a Zoom meeting or a Google meeting and you know actively listening and taking notes is that's the real challenge. So just taking the resources that we have and teaching everybody how to use them. You know, or or your coaches who haven't used Google Meets before, and so. That's kind of what where we've been, but yeah, definitely, it, it's obviously something that you realize that you don't have to meet face to face. I think from a staff standpoint, we were kind of leaning this way. We always did a, a, a Zoom meeting on the Sunday night, but now we're starting to say, okay, what what else can we do from the comfort of our homes that's going to save us some time from being in the office? Um, so I think that's a positive. I think with the kids, my the light bulb that goes off with me is how can I how can we review film? I can do, you know, and, and differentiate our learning and individualize our learning. I can meet with my middle linebacker and watch film anytime we want. And now I can talk to him about his particular scheme and technique. Um, and so what I think this technology allows us to do is really individualize our kids learning as opposed to sitting with your positional group and teaching to the mass. And that's what we'll use going forward. Like, I definitely see this happening throughout our season where I'm having individual meetings with kids. Yeah, that's what we've talked about, you know, um, with our staff. We, we draft our summer program. We have eight leaders that were voted on, leaders, uh, seniors by the rest of the program. And then we did a little virtual draft. It was kind of cool. And we had a first round draft picks put on Twitter. And mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where we're looking at going is to do something like, you know, having online competitions. And, you know, I, I saw that you had a, a Twitter logo deal where you, you know, and then a voting on that and mm -hmm. um, poll contest. C can you talk about some of those fun things that you've, you've done to try to get those kids fired up? 
Yeah, I mean, we do a lot what you do. We we have uh, our our kids who go through our leadership development class. We we pick eight of them to be platoon leaders, and then they draft they draft a team. So we put all the sophomores in varsity together, and they'll we'll do a draft. This year we did it virtually, which was fun. And then from there, our whole summer, we call it our Earn Your Stripes Challenge. And it's based off of earning 50 points throughout the summer. You'll get your stripe on your helmet, regardless of level. So if you're a sophomore, you'll get it. Or varsity, you'll get it. Um, and then basically everything that they're going to do has some sort of point value to you. It's, it's not very complicated. We're going to give them one thing from each of our quadrant, each each of our quadrants each week, and they have to accomplish that. And their platoon leaders are in charge of keeping the score. So our our first team challenge was doing a logo. And so they had to use some sort of 2D media uh, 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 format on a computer. And then they made their logos. And then we put it up on Twitter. And I, I was using Zoom meeting to kind of make like a like my own little studio war room. And I would do like a morning video and, and kind of explain it and just really hamming it up. And then we put it on Twitter and then people would vote. And uh, again, like just going back to what we talked about, we had never done that before. And this forced us to kind of think outside the box. And one of our one of our main missions is to connect our community to our program. And we had, you know, we had probably over a thousand people vote or a thousand different votes over three days. Mm-hmm. And people who you know, as you look at who's voting, you know, there's people in California, New York, Florida. Um, and it's really kind of interesting how that kind of played into something that they, that people cared about. And I give our kids all the credit because they, they put time into it. It wasn't like they just threw it together. Like they really spent some time on it. So, you know, that's the first area that we've gone. And, and now we're just trying to think, okay, that experience went well. How can we continue to involve people um, with that? I think our next team challenges, we're, we're doing a a, a run walk for charity where our platoons uh, are going to whoever accrues the most mileage on uh, June 6th uh, will win. And that's done social distance. You don't have to be in a group. All you got to do is sign up on a website for Gigi's Playhouse, make name your team, and then um, they, they track your mileage. And so we're just trying to figure out ways where we can stay connected without being physically connected, I suppose. Coach, uh, when you're talking about uh, parents, you know, as being probably an undervalued part of uh, a football program, you know, and I think oftentimes, sometimes it's it's more of a confrontational viewpoint in the sense of parents are are looking for the individual uh, aspect instead of looking at from a team aspect. I mean, that's always kind of the presumption there is they're going to you know look at it as the best from the aspect of their own child, their student athlete versus instead of the team aspect. And, uh, you know, a former coach that I knew in Cedar Rapids actually used to invite uh, on Mondays uh, parents or even just people from the community to, to watch game film with mm-hmm. with them. And they would watch it and they could, you know, ask questions like, well, what, what were you thinking at this point? And I don't know if I would ever do that, but what are some different ways that you've um, – you know, it sounds like embrace the parents to allow them to, you know, take ownership in the program. I think it is trying to first ask them what they need out of the program. Uh, we ask our players every year what they want us to do. And, you know, they, they'll tell you we want music, we want, you know, oversized decals, whatever else. But then I do the same thing with my parents. Like, I don't look at the parents as a ancillary part of the program. They're, they're going to get the same devotion and attention from me 
because I know that they're that's important. So um, we're going to teach them about our culture. Uh, I'll, I'll do the same way that we've had Google Meets. I did a parent Google meeting just with parents to kind of talk about things that anything that they needed to understand. Um, I'll present our culture playbook to our players, our parents, and our staff separately. And it's the same presentation, but the areas that I focus on and the way that I, are a little bit different. So what what is being invested and being accountable look like for a parent and, and kind of going over what those standards are and what those expectations are. Um, and, and so that we're all understanding that we're all pulling on the same end of the rope. And this is a collective group. I, I, I think one thing that we do is, you know, we, we show them a lot of attention from uh, how we invest in their kid. I'll do individual college meetings with any parent who wants to sit down and we'll meet as a group, mom, dad, myself, and the player, and we'll go over, you know, college prospects and college opportunities. Um, we've redeveloped our parent group. We, you know, we rebranded it, gave them a cool name, gave them a cool logo and started to connect them. Um, they felt like that early on, maybe five years ago, that they weren't contributing enough. So, you know, now there's opportunities. They're going to head up a lot of different avenues of our program, a lot of different systems. Uh, we do a peanut butter and jelly bar uh, during the course of the summer and the season where our parents will buy, uh, you know, peanut butter, jelly and bread. And they'll be able, that'll stay in our locker room and our kids can eat before or after practice. Um, they feel like they're contributing there. We do a mom's camp. We do a family day, a dad's bags tournament. We've branched off into a, what we call our cover four program, which is mo mo mostly our dads. And it's kind of like the old quarterback club, kind of what you were alluding to, where, you know, there's going to be a tailgate uh, under a tent before the game starts. And then throughout the course of the season, there's going to be they're going to have a little bit of different access. They're going to have opportunities to sit down with me, um, do some Q&As. We haven't got to the point of watching film just yet, but we, that is on the docket to do um, open practices. We encourage them to come to a practice. Our first padded practice, day of contact, uh, we're going to open the doors and they have all field access. As long as they're not in between the lines, they can come and watch practice. And uh, I just think allowing them to feel like they're a part of the experience as opposed to just watching from the stands. And uh, and again, that can go well and that, that, that can, you know, sometimes you have to pull back a little bit, you know, particularly if you're not having the success that maybe people are used to, you know, and the, the nice thing about those opportunities, though, is that if you've built the infrastructure, you know, and there's people who are maybe going against what the program's culture is, you can then stop and redirect and have a phone call or have a face to face meeting and just say, we've talked about what this looks like. And that's not what it should look like, you know, and I understand why you're feeling like this. But we also need to understand that that's not the direction the program is going to go and we don't support that. And, you know, I think it's worked out fairly well. You know, it's not perfect. And if, but we try to make our par parents feel, again, like they are a part of it and, and really kind of in it. And we do some things without the kids, too. So it's more of just a, a group, you know, and, and like a social group, because I think as you get older, like, you know, my kids are going to be in first grade and you start hanging out with the parents of your kids' friends. And so a lot of these people do that. And so after every game, everybody goes to the local establishment and there's pizza and French fries and there's no kids and it's just the parents, you know, and my family will go there, win or lose. And you just there to kind of talk about the game and you just have to be professional. And sometimes people tell you what they want, what they want to, what they're thinking. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, 
when I got an opening, I'll hire you. <laughs> I, I think that's tremendous. And, you know, I, I think the, the biggest piece, the takeaway I'm getting from that is, you know, parents aren't the enemy. I mean, they're really not. They're, they're, they're the ones who have supplied the commodity that we have us employed, you know? And, and so it's a, it's a great, I love the way that you, you think about that. And then um, I need to do a better job of that. I feel very blessed to have a community of parents that are supportive of the mission that we're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I need to be more involved. Um, I want to push that down from an accountability standpoint. You, I heard you mention that with regards to parents and whatnot, but how, how do you handle um, discipline within your program with, with maybe a, a young man uh, who is not responding to the prompts that you're you're giving him uh, to to stay on the path and to meet the standard. Well, I mean, we've we've done it a, a few a few ways. You know, I think the first and foremost is when we're doing our point systems, um, it starts to get highlighted because the kids see we we post our point systems and maybe a kid isn't pulling his end of the bargain. And so that's going to be a red flag from the kid's standpoint. And we always direct it to a platoon leader. Can you address it? Can you talk to this kid? Um, I, you know, I, I've learned that if I want my kids to lead, I have to put them in situations where they need leadership, you know, and they've got to prove that they can do it. Um, now, if it's something that's above their pay grade and it's something that I need to address, well, then we'll sit down as a group and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, and we'll explain to that young man, you know, here's what our expectations are. You know what our standards are. And right now you're not achieving them. But I've also realized, and this might not be the common, what most people would agree with, is that everybody's different. Every case is different. You know, I always try to evaluate how important is the game to this young man, you know, because by and large, the, the game for a lot of these kids is a connection to something greater than just football. Most of them aren't playing for a college scholarship. So I've had kids where I've given a lot more leniency because it warranted it. The game was being a part of our program was that important, you know? Um, Although if it's an attendance issue and then that becomes a safety issue, then we'll sit down and say, listen, I I don't know if this is the best decision for you. And nobody's going to think less of you. If you don't play, we're going to support you. I'll say hi to you in the hallways, no matter what. Um, And we've had kids walk away from the program. You know, Um, we had a kid uh, on our state championship run who you know, wasn't playing as much as he wanted to. Um, you know, he had some off the field issues that were fairly serious. And so he was kind of coming in and out of practice, you know, and and we just took a stance. We addressed it with the team. We addressed it as a staff that it was not going to be a a distraction to us because nobody understood what he was going through, you know, so he would come and he would go, but then it got to the point where it was, you know, there, there was a lot of animosity from a playing standpoint, and he ended up not coming with us to the state championship by his own choice, you know, and I look back at that one instance and I just kick myself because I wish I would have reached out and I, you know, that one experience for him to come down and play in a state championship, I think would have done him a lot of good. And, you know, you look back and I, I probably should have at that moment said, you know what, you're coming with us, whether you like it or not, because it's, this is something you should do. And, you know, I mean, we kind of, that's kind of how I've dealt with it. We've had a leadership council where I have guys, you know, where they go to our players. Um, I've gotten away from the leadership council because uh, for me, 
I just feel like if, if there's major issues we're going to talk about as a staff, I'm going to have that conversation with the kid one-on-one. That's why I get, that's why I'm the head coach. You know, I don't want to put my 16 or 17 year olds in a position where they've got to make a judgment on their peer, especially if it's something that's serious, that maybe isn't, shouldn't be their information. You know what I'm saying? Like th- there's a lot of different things that happen through the course of a season. Um, so I don't have like one definitive way that we deal with it just because I want to be fair to everybody. Okay. But I don't necessarily mean that that is equal treatment and that that's probably not a popular thought. You know, what's fair and equal are totally different. And, and and that's hard to get your arms around, you know, quite honestly, because to your point, every kid is different. I, I had a, um, my defensive coordinator, Ray Riesland, who's been on my staff for five years now, and he was a, went to Cornell when I did. Um, he's been a long time coach. He's, he's forgot more than I know. Um, when he came into Cornell at the time I did, the head coach, Steve Miller had two basic rules, do right and be on time. And he, I, I think he kind of went rounds with Steve Miller, like, dude, you need to get some stuff aligned deeper and, 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 you know, honed in. And Steve was like, do right, be on time. That tells you everything you need to know because every situation is different. And that spoke to the experience that he had dealt with. And I, I think you're alluding to that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have, you know, we're, our off season lifting is, you know, we're not a, we're a 12 month program. We're going to, we're going to want kids to play other sports. You know, I think 85% of our kids are multi-sport, but if you're not lifting you're or if you're not playing a sport, you're going to be training. And there's a few, there's one or two kids who, you know, they, their circumstances are different and, you know, they're not going to lift with us. They're going to go lift somewhere else, or maybe they're going to do something other than that. They're going to be in a different club. I just feel like that's what I would want as a person, as a, as a kid, as a 15, 16, 17 year old kid, I just want somebody who understands me. And the second I get a kid to really think that I'm, I care more about him than the team is when I feel like I get way more out of them, you know? And sometimes I've told kids, you know, Hey, you know, t- take the time you need. You don't want to play. The, obviously, your actions are telling me that you don't want to play. Take some time off. You know, we had a three, we had a three-year starter who said he wasn't coming back, and he's like, "I just need some time off." So I said, "Go ahead, take what you need." And he came back at the mid midsummer and said, "You know, I, I made a mistake. I want to come back." And sometimes they they have to come to that fruition themselves, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes they do. Coach, can you talk? You you mentioned kind of like your leadership curriculum that you do. How did you come up with that? I mean, and do you teach it to your whole team? What's that look like within your within your program? Yeah, our leadership uh, academy started about five years ago, and it's a gentleman who his name is Jim Block, who is a, a he's a personal friend and, and my mentor. He's one of the re- reasons I'm I'm at where I'm at right now. Um, he was a longtime athletic director at Nutrier High School, and I just found his, what he was teaching me on a daily basis was so beneficial. And he has a, he has a company called the team and they do a lot of leadership training, but they hadn't done it in like the, uh, per team, they did it in like mass settings. So I asked him if he would come in and if he would be okay, creating a 10 week curriculum, uh, we would do a book study. We usually choose a John Gordon book, um, just because they're easy reads and they have a good message and he'll come in and, and he'll teach them they, they use the book kind of as a foundation, but a lot of the topics are, you know, just really about developing skills. You know, what does a leader need to be? You know, talking about lo- how lonely it can be and really a truly what is a leader. And the kids have to apply for it. 
and I'll look through the applications. And if there's a kid who I just don't feel like fits in that class, we just won't put them in it. But I've gotten to the point now where I, I really kind of blur that line because if a kid is taking the time to apply, why should I deny him the opportunity to, to try to become a leader within our program and maybe within himself? And not all of these guys go on to be captains. A vast majority don't. But I feel like they walk out of our program with, again, an experience, something that they're going to be able to hang their hat on maybe later in life when they're a dad or when they're in a business or when they're trying to figure themselves out. Um, and so it, it meets on our early dismissal every other Wednesday, and it's, it's an hour long, and there is some extracurriculum work that they have to do. But the end goal is for them to create an action plan for the following summer for how they want to lead themselves and our team. And so they create that plan, and then I, and we go over it, myself and them, and then we kind of hold them to it, you know, and it allows me to talk to those Key, those guys who are going to be key, sta key stakeholders within the program and say, here, here's what you said you wanted to be as a leader. Mm. You know, most of you say I lead by doing, well, that's just com being compliant. Like, I don't believe that. How are you going to lead? It says right here, you want to, you want to take a more active role. Okay. Well, let's, let's, you haven't done it so far or you have, and let's see what's the next step going to be. Um, so, and it's open through freshman through senior, you know, so anybody can join it. We've had kids take it multiple times. Um, we pay, we pay for it as a program. The kids just have to pay for a book. I just feel like, again, and that's one of those things going back with like parents, like we're like when they see you investing in their kid, you know, um, I think it goes a long way. Now I tell the kids though, I want to return on my investment. You know, I'm putting money into you. I'm putting time and resources in, you know, I got to see something back. And if you miss a class, you're out. You don't turn an assignment, you're out, mm. you know? So it's, you know, that's the standard, you know, the standards, the standard. And no gray area. I like it. Now, are you, are you the one that, teaches, absolutely. Are you the one that teaches that class or does your friend come in and teach that class? Coach no, or block. I'm never, I'm never in it. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Jim block, Jim comes in and, uh, I'm never, I'm never in that class. Um, I get, he writes a newsletter after the class about what happened and he'll occasionally call me. But by and large, what goes, what's said in that room does not get filtered back to me, you know, and it, it, but through my conversations with Jim, he'll give me guidance as a leader on what he's hearing, you know, and, and it, and, and it helps me because they're not going to tell me, they're not going to be honest with me as much as they would be as a group or with him. And so uh, I think it's great because he gives them a really strong message and it allows me to be kind of a just a spectator. I mean, it's almost kind of works as a internal audit of your program. Yeah, for sure. No question about it. That's awesome. Well, coach, as, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, this has been an incredible hour. Uh, we love to hear books that have influenced you or what you're reading right now. Obviously with the COVID things have been a little bit different. So maybe you've read a little bit more, but what are some major takeaway books that you, you would love for people to know and to read that have impacted you? Um, you know, I, I think that the, I, re I usually read like three or four books at once, just kind of ping ponging back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, and since, since the stay at home order and COVID came about, I think I've kind of, I've, I've relied more on my faith than I think I probably ever have where you started my day with a daily devotional. Mm -hmm. 
So getting back to the Bible has been important for me just to kind of find out, um, you know, just reestablishing that relationship. But then also just, I think, Hardwiring Happiness. I'm looking at my Kindle right now. Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen has been a great way of, you know, taking the negative thoughts that may permeate your mind or may drift in and, you know, tending that garden, pulling the weeds and planting flowers and focusing on how, how you can create your, train your mind to be positive because I tend to not be positive. You know, I, I create a positive atmosphere within our program, but, you know, at my own insecurities, I tend to be as not as positive as I should be. So that that's really kind of been where I've been at. And I've been really in the Dalai Lama, the art of happiness. Um, so a lot of these things that I've been reading over the since COVID started are to deal with fears and anxieties and negative thoughts that maybe I was personally having. And I have found it enlightening because I think I can take these and make myself a better coach uh, because there's times when things aren't going great. And now I can teach it to my kids, which is part of our mindset training. Um, and I'm going to definitely be using it. Yeah, growth mindset for sure. I, I would agree with you 100% on the Bible. Dwayne and I are, are, are big believers in that. And uh, we, you would you would not be shocked at the number of people we've spoke to on this podcast that have said exactly what you just said in terms of reconnecting with their faith and, and being being better uh, because of them, not necessarily pushing it on anybody else, but making it more about how they can be a better person, you know, because we're all in the process and we're never going to be perfect. And so understanding that is, is a huge undertaking. I love your vulnerability. I just yeah. think it's awesome. Yeah. I think somebody was telling me, you know, life is noisy and right now it's, it's really quiet, you know? And so you got to listen to what you got to, you're just trying to listen to what yourself is, what your body is telling yourself, you know? And what, one thing that I've learned is to talk to myself more than to you know, listen to myself, which is mm. a big step for me. Indeed. And, and and that's something that everyone can improve on, you know, mm. and pushing that all the way down. Well, coach, as we wrap up, uh, are there any parting thoughts that you, you think you, our leaders need to hear uh, from you with regards to culture, leadership, anything that maybe we have not covered yet today? I mean, we talked about a lot. I think if, if somebody's looking to take the next step, um, you know, ask yourself a few questions, you know, where are we now? Uh, where do we want to get to? And then from that point, how are we going to get there? And 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 be as direct and as specific as you possibly can. Because uh, like we talked about, the gray area is a difficult place to live. And that's a phenomenal place to finish. No gray area, black and white. Have, <laughs> have strong answers. We love it. Well, we'd like to thank Coach Palmzak for being on the podcast today. Uh, we're better be because of the time we just spent here today. So let's keep chasing life, leadership, and the pursuit of greatness in everything we do. Have a great day. Thanks again for checking out our podcast today and sticking around to the end. Dwayne Mathis and I are so grateful that you decided to stop by. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you use to listen in. Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. If you have any questions, please be sure to send us an email at lifeleadpg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about topics you want to hear regarding leadership. Also, check out our YouTube channel. We post videos every Sunday and recap the podcast that we had the previous week. Great opportunity to get a quick hit of what we're talking about. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss an opportunity to get better as a leader. And as always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, 
and pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great night.